So you always want to be prepared to... To set goals. To be really disruptive. Diversity is fundamental. It is just trusting those super strengths. To recover from those failures and, and learn from them. Humility looks like the softest word, but it's kind of the hardest. We ourselves are in beta mode. Life goes on. Sporting Edge, inside the mind of champions. Welcome to the Inside the Mind of Champions podcast. My name is Jeremy Snape. I'm a former England cricketer with a master's degree in sports psychology. Since retiring, I've been fortunate to work with and interview some of the world's most successful thinkers and performers. And I'm passionate about translating their habits and routines into practical strategies to help you become more successful. In each episode, I'll be dissecting a common performance challenge to help you improve your mindset, your leadership and your team performance. To me, our mindset is the next frontier. So let's find out why. Hello and welcome to today's episode of Inside the Mind of Champions. We're going to be exploring inside the mind of a truly stellar performer today, Dame Sarah Story. But before we get started, I just wanted to let you know that I'm going to be hosting a live Q&A session around noon this Friday. I'll add the link into the show notes so that you can join me. It's completely free and I'll be sharing some of the video insights from our library and also some of the key elements of our research around the winning mindset to give you some practical strategies to help you to become more confident and more resilient for the months ahead. So that's a live Q&A this Friday. So make sure you register from that link below and I look forward to meeting you and answering your questions. If you've been kind enough to leave a rating and a review for the podcast on the various platforms, then massive thanks. These really do make a difference to podcast hosts as they really get our shows promoted, which means we can inspire more people. Special thanks to Hammer35620 for your five-star review on Apple And uh, you've also said that you love the way the expert lessons are contextualized to make it practical for everyone. Well, I'm really pleased, Hammer, that you uh, love the show. Thanks very much for taking that extra couple of minutes to leave that review. I'm fascinated by these people just like you are. So trying to make sense of what they're saying, uh, you know, inspiration's one thing. But I think if we can distill these stories down into something practical that we can all do differently each week, then that's really, really important because we can keep experimenting with these new habits and creating these new systems around us that help us to be happier and help us to withstand anything the world throws at us. So that's my quest, I guess. And, and, uh, you know, I'm glad that you're enjoying that journey with us. Anyway, on to today's special guest. She's just won her 16th Paralympic gold medal and she's broken 76 world records. 76. She won her first Paralympic medal in the swimming in Barcelona in 1992. I remember that for Freddie Mercury and Montserrat Kabayi pumping it out on stage. So that's 30 years of dedication. Sarah was born without a fully functioning left hand after her arm was trapped around the umbilical cord in the womb. Her early years were characterised by exceptional sports performance but a tough time socially as she was picked on at school. Having battled with eating disorders, she channeled more energy into her swimming. She won five gold medals before she was 19 
and that relentless training in the pool created another problem of chronic fatigue syndrome. Between Athens in 2000 and Sydney in 2004, she was battling with a persistent ear problem. These ear infections meant there was a risk of actually losing a hearing, so this was one of the catalysts to move her across into cycling. In 2005, she made the switch and used cycling to maintain her fitness, but found a natural affinity for it, breaking the world record in the 3,000 metre pursuit. Here's a snapshot of what we're going to hear from Dame Sarah Story's story. Nerves are really good. If you don't learn to control them properly and, and use them as a good thing, they can be very detrimental. For me, the biggest motivation, and it's not just limited to sport, it's about the whole of your life, for me or for anyone else. I always advocate being the best you can be. Regulations are made up by other people. I couldn't affect those regulations. I had to just do the best job I could in a really awkward circumstance. Mentally, there was no question that I could do it. I just had to figure out a mechanical way of getting around the fact I couldn't use my left arm. You grow up knowing that nothing's going to be handed to you on a plate. So my parents were never the sort of people who rewarded me with money or presents for a personal best time. I got a personal best time because I wanted to get a personal best time, not because there was a, something at the end. I wasn't, it's not being about being a glory hunter. It's about you want to get that, so go and get it. That's entirely your choice. So let's get a sense of where this superstar Paralympian across multiple sports gets a drive from. Our early years are so important to shaping our beliefs and aspirations. So what was it that put the fire in her belly? For me, the biggest motivation, and it's not just limited to sport, it's about the whole of your life, for me or for anyone else. I always advocate being the best you can be. Um, when I was at school, when I was at university, it was about doing the very best I could. Um, there was no sort of, we, we didn't have the option of not doing university in our house. Just in the same way we didn't have the option of not playing cricket. We were going to learn to throw and catch a ball and be able to play cricket to a certain level. And we were going to go to university and, and, and get an education and have something to fall back on. You know, we, ha we might have a fleeting chance of being a pop star or a fleeting chance of being an actor or a fleeting chance of being an athlete. But at the end of the day, you need a, an education to back all that up. And if you want to, you know, pay the bills and um, live your life and go on nice holidays and that kind of thing, you need to have something to be able to earn your money through. So we had a very strong grounding about being the best you could be. And for me, that's carried out whether I'm in a career in sport, whether I'm in a career in, you know, business or education or go eventually to be a PE teacher. It's about being the best you can be. And at the point where I decided to change sports, it became an opportunity to try and be good in something else that I'd never tried before and although I'd done a lot of sport as a child and I'd been on the county team for netball and table tennis and running I'd never been a cyclist and I'd never really attempted to learn the real technicalities of cycling so although I'd lived in the hills and was able to climb pr pretty well then that was just brute force and raw power the sort of finesse of cycling I didn't have a clue so it was an opportunity to try something new and it wasn't really with any sort of motivation to say, oh, it's going to be the first time anyone's done it in two sports or it's going to make me, you know, the greatest Paralympian ever. It was just about, could I take on this challenge and be the best I could be? So this philosophy of be the best you can be sounds nice, but Sarah turned it from an inspirational mantra into a deep motivational compass, which has helped her to navigate through some of the darkest and most challenging times in her life. This is the difference with the champions. 
They don't just say the right thing. They have the discipline to do the right thing, even when no one's watching and there are no prizes around. Her parents clearly impressed on her the need to have balance with her schoolwork and wider sports. But that mindset of wanting to squeeze every last drop of her potential out would not only catapult her up to the top, but it would keep her there for decades. The other powerful insight that I took from that particular message was that she wasn't doing this for external validation. It was more important to have that intrinsic drive to take on new challenges and to feel the progress that she was making. Sarah knows that that's joyful and rewarding in itself. So it's both brilliant and rare to have so much focus on her own growth and satisfaction rather than looking outside for praise and validation and reward. And Sarah now explains where this mindset came from. You grow up knowing that nothing's going to be handed to you on a plate. So my parents were never the sort of people who rewarded me with money or presents for a personal best time. I got a personal best time because I wanted to get a personal best time, not because there was a, something at the end. I wasn't, it's not being about being a glory hunter. It's about you want to get that, so go and get it. That's entirely your choice, but there's not going to be a reward for doing so. Um, it's all about making sure that if you want to do something, you're perfectly entitled to do anything you want to do. But don't expect somebody else to reward you for that because this is all about what you want to do. And in the process of learning that maturity and learning not to become reliant on gifts or you know incentives, as it were, means that you can develop a bit of a resilience, a bit of mental toughness, a bit of a thick skin. Because all around you, friends are being rewarded with new swimsuits or another set of goggles, £10 note for every second. And actually, why do you need all of that? It's all flannel. You just have to be focused on what you're doing. And so I think having that sort of, not hardline approach, just realistic. Why would you spoil your children? Because they're already doing something very fortunate that hundreds and thousands of kids around the world aren't fortunate enough to do anyway. So I think it starts at home and it's about partly your upbringing. And then, obviously, as you go grow older, like anything, you know, if you're an actor and you go to a, um, try and be interviewed for a job or whatever it is, you go to an audition, you're not necessarily going to win every, everything. You have to develop a, a coping strategy so that you can move forward and continue to strive for what you want to do. And so I think it's partly how you're brought up and partly the things that you face during your life and that life experience. So that grounding of enjoying the sport, enjoying your progress and your achievements for yourself is so powerful. The kids that were showered in gifts for doing well would start to crave external validation and recognition. The problem is that they'd have bad days and there wouldn't be rewards then. But also we can't control who's watching and whether they've got a £10 note in their pocket. So our reference point is always external and we expose ourselves to a turbulent reward system. This is so prevalent with social media at the moment. We post and then we crave the likes as if it's the only source of our self-worth. It's pretty dangerous to outsource our confidence rather than understanding where it comes from internally. The second thing which goes unnoticed is that the athlete or performer spends less time and energy reflecting on their performance because the appraisal system is all done for them. They will be told how they did by the size of their prize. But again, those things don't always correlate. You can be coming back from an injury and record a slow time. So there's no razzmatazz, 
But given the context of what you're recovering from and the progress you've made, you can be really proud of that, even though there isn't a prize being given to you. Self-reflection and self-evaluation is such a massive part of the champion's mindset. Throughout our lives and our careers in sport and business, our coaches and colleagues and mentors will come and go. But our own personal appraisal and reflection will be the only constant coach we have through that time. So that's why our inner voice and our own reflection is so critical that we leverage it. Sarah was taught early on that she needed to dial up her appraisal to 8 out of 10 because the environment would only give her 2 out of 10. For many kids, this is the other way around, with everyone expecting 8 out of 10 coming back in the sense of feedback and only looking at themselves for 2 out of 10. So not only do we crave acceptance, but we lose that ability to self-analyse and self-correct. So that means we always need other people's input, and sometimes that's impossible. There's a key message here for coaches and managers as well that you know, very often our performers, whether it's in sport or business, ask us what they think. I remember as a cricket coach, you know, assistant coach and in the psychology role with some of the international teams that I was working with or the Indian Premier League, I'd be in the nets throwing balls at the batsmen and watching them in their training. And then they'd walk down the net and say, what do you think? And I'd say, well, it's, you know, it would be quite instinctive to tell them what I thought they could correct straight away. And that might make me feel good as if I'm the expert But actually, my question was always the same back to them. Well, what do you think? I've had my go. I've retired. What do you think? What did you feel? Now, that's when they might say something like, well, I felt okay, but I overbalanced a little bit when the ball was on my legs. And you say, okay, that's really interesting. What do you think might have caused that? So again, I'm asking them that question to try and get more self-awareness and more self-correction. And they say, well, maybe my head was falling over. Okay, so what could stop that? Okay, and they might say, well, maybe I'd have a trigger of pushing my head forward or changing my feet to be slightly wider apart or narrower. I say, okay, well, let's go back into the net, throw some more balls, experiment with that. And then they'd say, oh, I feel much better when I'm standing taller with my feet narrower and my head slightly forward. And I said, that's brilliant then. So you've just coached yourself to find a trigger and a a memory peg, if you like, that on Saturday in the big game, when there are no coaches around, you can feel your balance, you know, being a little bit unstable and you've now found a way to coach yourself in that moment. So this is why it's so important for us as performers and as coaches to create a space for self-reflection and self-correction, because ultimately for the elite performer, that voice inside the head needs to be a positive coach that's constantly guiding deeper reflection, more awareness, more choices and making the right choices under pressure. Now, Sarah's stories had some incredible coaches around her, but from the start, that mindset of needing to find the answer for herself seems like it was prevalent. And that's where she's got her satisfaction. That was the reward in herself, seeing progress, seeing that she'd unlocked a new level of potential. Interestingly, even last week when she was She'd just broken the record for the 3,000 metre individual pursuit in the Tokyo game. She said she was just focused on her training and getting the work done. And it seems like that's the source of her superpowers, this hard work and turning talent into results. I think anyone's success is down to hard work. You can be fabulously talented, but if you aren't prepared to work hard, then it doesn't matter how talented you are because somebody will be prepared to work hard 
and will overcome any sort of lack of talent in order to beat you. And mental strength comes from working hard, I think. If you stand on the blocks or sit in the start gate of a race knowing you couldn't have done any more to prepare for that particular race, knowing that you've put in more than anyone else in the world, then you're increasing the odds of winning. Whereas if you go into there and think, well, I'm so talented, I don't even care how much training I've done, then that complacency will catch you out. So you do need an element of mother nature to support you to start with, but you also have to have the determination to work hard. If you're prepared to suffer that little bit more, get that little bit extra out of your body if you know how to push yourself to the limit and then keep going and you know how to make yourself work that bit harder. When you think your arms and legs are going to fall off and your neck and neck in the final five metres of a race in the swimming pool, what allows that person to touch the wall first. But we had a coach down in Stockport who used to say, you're going to do something extraordinary today because ordinary people do ordinary things, but we need you to be extraordinary. So what I'm asking you to do in training is not ordinary, it's extraordinary, but that will allow you to be extraordinary and extraordinary people can win extraordinary things. And ultimately, that's what it's about at the Olympic, at the Paralympic Games, World Championships. It's not something that ordinary people do. So we had to be extraordinary in order to achieve them. So, of course, Sarah has the aerobic engine and the coordination to be an athlete. But I love that quest to be extraordinary. It's not a fluffy dream. It takes graft and the compound effect of daily and weekly disciplines to be a champion. Yes, the Olympians and the Paralympians are talented. Of course they are. But I think that downplays what really separates them. Let's be honest, it's easy for us to say that they've achieved their success because they've got an incredible body or they've got fast twitch fibres, because that almost excuses us from having to try. We don't have the DNA, so what's the point? But actually, the Paralympians, more than anyone, show us through the way they've transcended adversity that they have that drive and discipline and tenacity that is needed to get to the very top. After all, the swimmer that wakes up early in the cold mornings to get to training and churns out the miles day after day without taking the easy path, without cutting corners, to me is an inspiration before they even get on the plane to the Olympics. This comes back to that earlier point that Sarah made about being the best you can be. Can you look yourself in the mirror at the end of the day and say, I did everything possible to be at my very best today. I didn't cut any corners. I had brilliant relationships. I focused on my priorities. To me, that's the winning mindset and that's what we all should aspire to. It's not just the intensity of Sarah's work rate that's admirable. It's her emotional control and focus as well. So many of us have experienced changes and unfair situations which are way out of our control over the last 12 months. Maybe you've not been able to travel to see loved ones. Maybe your business is folded or your exams have been marked down or your self-employed consultancy has lost key clients. These are all painful situations which compromise our expectations. We have a choice in this situation. It's so easy to fall into the trap of being derailed and throwing all of our emotional energy and focus into how unfair that situation is. We can play the victim. While this may be cathartic in the short term, it's not how the world's elite performers approach it. 
Sarah explains a situation she encountered after four years of trying to eke out fractions of a second of advantage over her rivals and the way she dealt with it was nothing short of remarkable. In Beijing, I was faced with a factor system because the disability groups had to be combined in the women's event because there wasn't enough medals to go around. So I had to race in a combined group of three classes and the people I was racing against, I had to give a 10% head start. The irony of that was when they rejigged the classification system, most of those girls are now in the same class as me. And I knew that that would happen and I knew that this system wasn't fair. But as Steve would say, life's not fair. There are things where you're in a no-win situation. Regulations are made up by other people. I couldn't affect those regulations. I had to just do the best job I could in a really awkward circumstance. Obviously, when you come to a road race in cycling, there's other people affecting things. You get down to a sprint finish and you don't know whether you know, you're going to be boxed in or left behind or somebody's going to ride into you and you'll crash. But in a time trial event where it's just you and the clock, or you're chasing someone on the other side of the track, or you're in your own lane in an eight-lane swimming pool, you can affect what happens inside the two lane ropes. You can affect what happens on your two wheels. And all of those things have been rehearsed. And I always try and use the rationale that I've rehearsed this and this is my training. And ultimately, um, I can affect those things. Imagine that. You know you're giving 10 whole seconds head start, 10 seconds to somebody who's your equal. And instead of throwing a hissy fit, instead of getting derailed and playing the victim and all the histrionics, you metabolise all of that anger and turn it into power and focus and you beat them anyway. I'm quite a visual person and when Sarah explains how the athletes or cyclists are in their lane, I imagine a 100 metre sprinter looking up at the track ahead of them. It would be easy to start looking across at the other athletes, how composed or how smart you know they're looking or how big their muscles are on that start line but instead imagine looking down that track and these two white lines fading away into the distance and these two opaque glass screens rising up at the side so everything to the left and everything to the right of you becomes blurred and the track in front of you is the only thing that you can see. Let's take this analogy of focus into our own world where maybe the distraction in the next lane might be a friend flexing on Instagram or a business rival gloating about their new product or a change in regulation or situation that's completely out of your control. You're pulling the screens up and deciding you can just see it happening, but 90% of your focus is on the track in front of you. And we can either step outside of that and try and fix the unfixable or we pull up these glass screens and turn our lane into a super highway. This is a race against ourselves. I don't want to be beaten by myself because I was worried about what other people were doing. And Sarah did just that. She won another gold medal when it would be so justified for her to be distracted because things were unjust and unfair. Now, sometimes things don't go to plan even for the most focused of performers. And Sarah's relentless work ethic was brilliant for her medal tally but was taking an emotional and physical toll. At her lowest ebb, she had to find strength both personally and from those around her to keep her moving forward, as we now hear. Because I'd missed the qualifying time for the highest level of funding by 25 one hundredths of a second, the guy who's the performance director, he said, well, she's obviously on her way out. Um, there's no point in taking her to the pre-Paralympic event um, two months later. 
um, before Sydney. There's no point in us really investing time in her. She's 21. Um, she's had it. She's over. And to someone who'd come back from being told if I didn't stop getting or didn't stop punishing myself with this fatigue virus that I'd end up with a heart condition and I had to be realise how important my rest was, to come back and then be told I was still rubbish and then to be told that they weren't going to invest in me and they didn't have the belief that I could still be an athlete for any longer. There was no point in me even attempting to go to Sydney. I'd won five Paralympic gold medals in Barcelona and Atlanta. You know, that's a career, off you go. <laughs> go and become something else. And at that point, I was really quite fragile and, and it was only because I was with the right coach that he helped me deflect. And again, I was 21. I didn't have the same life experience. And I suppose the experience of that is what's given me the opportunity to be so philosophical when other things have come and sort of I've been able to deflect them much easier. People said, well, you must have been absolutely devastated to be dropped from the team pursuit. So, well, yes, to a certain extent, but I also have had much worse said about me and I know how to deflect it much better thanks to the people who've looked after me in the past. So I guess that when your confidence is that low, you need to have the right people around you. Unfortunately, you know, Colin knew how to build me back up again and I won three world titles in 2002, having done the Commonwealth Games in Manchester. And I was back to the usual Sarah, Sarah Bailey as I was then. You can hear the pain that she experienced on hearing those comments and judgments. Those cheap throwaway statements took just a few seconds when somebody said, she's 21, she's over. But those few seconds, I'm sure, have generated more than two decades of drive to fuel her success. And she's still winning gold medals age 43. So this toughness and resilience is the foundation of her success. The ability to keep grinding out the miles, even when the conditions or the decision makers are against you. Sarah shares an example now which takes her mental toughness to a completely different level. I think mental toughness starts with resilience and the ability to take the rough with the smooth. So you won't win everything. You shouldn't win everything because you'll become complacent. But how much can you deflect the failures or the perceived failures? How much do you let things bother you? How much do you bog down in the things you should have done rather than the things that you did well? What sort of resilience do you have to the world outside that's all attempting to beat you? Um, you know, I raced with a broken collarbone in 2007 because I was foolish enough to crash four days before the world champs. But there was no way that I was going to go into Beijing having not raced the world champs in 2007. So mentally, there was no question that I could do it. I just had to figure out a mechanical way of getting around the fact I couldn't use my left arm, which you know, was just a circumstance. And you, you bounce back from something and you work it out and you're resilient to the things that are presented to you. And if you can work out these challenges and you can do them anyway and don't let them phase you, I think that's mental toughness. I actually can't believe this. And as I sit here narrating this, I'm watching Sarah's insight in our members club library and to see her face as she shrugs off that broken collarbone as just a change in circumstance is hilarious. To most people, that'd be two months off work. And to her, you know, it's just part of working out. How do I keep my balance on the bike just using one arm? 
this was her plan. This was ruthlessly focused on the event. So she had to see that as a stepping stone up towards the Olympics and she wasn't going to miss out. She had to find a way to get through it. It was just part of her preparation. So this is another key takeaway. Yes, the Olympians are focused on winning gold medals, but so are a hundred other athletes. The key is not to get distracted by the gold and miss out on those daily training schedules, the reps, the miles, the races, the lessons that all aggregate together to build that confidence and that unshakable belief that the athlete is ready to win gold. Sarah wasn't cutting any corners here, even if that meant racing with a broken collarbone. So all these months of training taper into a set date and a set time in the pool or on the track where you meet your destiny. And how does Sarah cope with these nerves? I imagine this is exactly what she's thinking right now as she has the chance to become Britain's greatest Paralympian of all time. Nerves are good. Nerves can be bad. Nerves can be good. I think that you have the, the opportunity to control those nerves, keep them simmering away keep the adrenaline pumping, allow that adrenaline to, you know, carry you through, give you that, give you that performance that you really have to fight for on certain occasions. Um, on every occasion when it's, you know, at that highest level and everyone's fighting to, to, win that, to win that medal, you know, you have to bring a little bit more out of yourself. So nerves are really good. If you don't learn to control them properly and, and use them as a good thing, they can be very detrimental. But yeah, there'll be nerves running around, but that's part of the job really. And sometimes you do wish you could have a crystal ball, especially the night before a race. You think, gosh, I wish I could know that this time tomorrow. And I certainly have had um, conversations with teammates when we were riding the team pursuit. And the preparation had been a little bit up and down. There'd been a few little challenges with illness and injury. So the team had potential, but it wasn't absolutely perfect preparation. And I said to my roommate, I said, well, I'm going to remind you of this conversation in three days' time when we're sat at the airport going on training camp because we're sat here wishing we knew what was going to happen tomorrow. But when we're sat at that airport having a coffee waiting for the flight to go, we're going to wonder why we spent so much energy here panicking <laughs> about can it go right? Will we do the right race? Will we, you know, will we stay together as a three? All those things that you worry about in, a, in that environment. And sure enough, when we got to the airport and we, we'd won, we'd gone under 320, we'd broken the British record. And I reminded her, I said, do you remember that conversation we had at the hotel before the race when we qualified for the final, but we didn't know what was going to happen? And she goes, oh, yeah, you were so right. And sometimes it's good to remind yourself of the bigger picture because it is just sport. It is supposed to be fun. It is a hobby. It's a very important hobby with a very good you know, lifestyle. But at the end of the day, we're in a fortunate position and... We need to look at the bigger picture to keep yourself in check. So Sarah's formula is to welcome the nerves in. They supercharge your body. Just don't let them exhaust you so that you've got no energy to perform. And with that collarbone mended, many more medals, a husband and two lovely children, Sarah's story moves into the next chapter. Her ability to be deeply focused, wildly driven, yet balanced, on the bigger picture is a great message. I've certainly taken massive inspiration from watching her interview this week. In an interview she did with Sky Sports this week, she said that coming back to this level after having two children is what she sees as her biggest achievement. And it is truly incredible. 
to get back to those levels of dedication, fitness and focus. And like all athletes, her family haven't been able to see the success firsthand in Tokyo because there's been no crowds allowed in the stadium. But apparently her son Charlie is desperate for her to make the Paris 2024 Paralympic Games. And if we've learned anything about Dame Sarah's story today in this interview, we shouldn't bet against it. I really hope that you've found inspiration from today's show. If you have, then please share a link with your colleagues and friends on social media. We all need that little jolt of motivation. And I think Sarah's mindset and achievements are just so inspirational. It'd be great to spread the word. Do remember to click on that link to register in the show notes for the live Q&A session where I'll be answering your personal questions and sharing more insights into the winning mindset. I'm really looking forward to meeting you. Thanks so much for taking the time to join me today for the show. And until next time, stay safe and good luck. Thanks for listening to this episode of Inside the Mind of Champions. Connect with Jeremy's LinkedIn, Twitter and Instagram links in today's show notes to receive the latest insights from his work. If you'd like to get access to Sporting Edge's digital library or book Jeremy for a conference speech or webinar, then please visit www.sportingedge.com or email hello at sportingedge.com.